dark mode with that real like Roman Mars. Yeah, get the Roman exactly. Mars. That's exactly what yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, when I was first using it, I I was definitely doing that sound, and then uh, as I started playing with it a little bit and doing some new presets and some new stuff in uh, in Adobe Audition where I edit, um, I found that it actually was better for me to go with like sort of a flat EQ version of it, and then I could tweak the sound a little bit more the way that I wanted it because it was almost sure. the dark sound is good. I mean, it's a good like audiobook you know kind of narrator yeah, sound 100%. Um, but it's almost too woolly it's like almost just a little like i yeah. want a little more brightness in there so yeah especially if your voice like adds a little depth when you talk normally yeah. you add that dark filter on it and it kind of sounds like you're listening through a pillowcase sometimes yeah uh-huh it's just yes. very uh-huh. very woo. yeah <laughs> yeah i use this for this mic for everything like from streaming to podcasting to when i'm like just playing games with my friends since Xbox is so, like, not open source, but very user-friendly. I just join parties through my PC and play uh-huh. on my Xbox. So the first time I joined a party with this, people were like, whoa, you sound different. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. a huge difference. I have a $250 microphone, uh, and you guys are using, like, $30 microphones. Right, yeah. It make, yeah. It's like every time that somebody comes on the show and, and they're doing it through a gaming headset or something, you know, and um, yeah. it's just such a, a wild difference between the two. But yep. um, yeah, I mean, I've gone through so many different mics over the years um, uh, from, I mean, I, like I used a Yeti for a while, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, without it, a sock, a Yeti picks up way too much noise, though. Way too much noise. Um, but before it lo- for a long time, I used a. Uh, are you familiar with MXL? It's kind of like a cheapo brand that Mm-mm. they have on. It's it's pretty prevalent, like on Amazon. Um, they're actually pretty good mics for not much money, but um, but they pick up everything. I mean, like your whole fucking house, sure. right? Like just <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um, and I could really make my voice sound good on it, but it was just a hell of a time dampening, you know, yeah. because it was just it, you and know, going just back and canceling out that like low rumble it always had. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so I filtered through a couple, but, you know, and I was always looking at maybe getting an SM7B, but just the price of the mic and then a cloud lifter and then an interface and all that, you know, and I mean, and I yeah. have an interface, but it, it kind of blew out um, a while back and, and I was like, I just don't want to replace that. So. Um, I almost did that this. last year. Yeah, I almost did that last year. I was going to get an SM7B and pay for it over time. Actually, no, I was going to get the Rode. Um, the Rodecaster? The Rodecaster, yeah. And I was going to get a Go XLR Mini and a bunch of stuff. Because, like, you can't get an XLR mic. It just go right into your computer without a bunch of stuff that makes it sound better. Because you could get an XLR to USB adapter, but it's probably going to sound like crap. Oh, it's all terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to do all that. And then um, I remember listening to the podcast because, like, I, I do that sometimes. <laughs> My own <laughs> podcast in the car. And I was like, this sounds good. Like, I would, I would rather upgrade my PC right now because I need to and get a new microphone later. And then luckily my patience was rewarded because, yeah, in November or October, sure, put this one out. And I was like, ah, I'm going I'm to buy that one. I was waiting um, for a long time on um, Samson was going to put out a, a USB and XLR mic. And they did finally. But in it was like it got announced at NAMM last year. And then they just hit production delays over and over again. Sure. And I was sitting and I was like, man. And I have other Samson stuff. In fact, the board that I have that it's kind of shorted out is a Samson. Um, and uh, But I was like, this sounds really cool. This is what I want. I like that you have both XLR and USB. But they just got 
way behind. And then the, I, mean, I was getting messages from him like, oh, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. And then out of nowhere, sure's like, hey, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> well, what if we showed up sooner? Yeah. Right, exactly. And I was like, I hit that buy button so fast. Um, <laughs> I, I showed it to my wife and I was like, I'm going to get this right the fuck now. And she was like, you do that. <laughs> I, I like, will not Man. wait. This is yes. what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to take the chance that it wasn't going to be on the market long or, you know, it would sell out fast or whatever. So I've been so happy with it. Yeah, sure. I was going to get mine. I was going to spring for mine earlier, but um, the wife had a kid on Christmas. And in November, that didn't seem like something I could justifiably be like, can I spend a little money for a microphone I'm not going to use for three months? Mm -hmm. Um, So that afterwards. So I waited, but. You know, sometimes your stimulus check can go towards good things. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's there for, man. It's to spend. Exactly. To spend. We bought a lawnmower. This is my, sorry, this is absolutely unrelated to anything we're going to talk about today. But uh, the Easter weekend, we bought an electric battery-powered lawnmower and a battery-powered weed whacker. And I showed everyone that's come to my house since then. And I've realized that now I'm an adult. Like uh-huh. when you when you get close to 30, your brain goes, ah, maybe these things are super cool. And now I'm like, every time I mow, I'm like, man, this is so great. I want to tell my friends about my great new lawnmower. <laughs> I'm bragging to neighbors. Every time I turn it on, I'm like, yeah, like a little kid. It's 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 both encouraging and discouraging. Like part of it is like you're going to be OK as an adult because you're going to find joy in the adult things. But uh-huh. the other part is like. Oh God, I find joy in this. What's happened to me? <laughs> Matt, that's for me, that's was realizing that, especially over like the last year, that I kind of was avoiding um like scripted TV and going straight to documentaries most of the time. Sure. Where I which I still scripted, but like I just kept finding over and over again, like, oh, I know I I mean, you know, I didn't really want to commit to a movie tonight or I don't really want to start watching a TV series or whatever. Oh, there's a new documentary on HBO Max. Sweet. You know. Sweet. Yeah. And I was doing that over and over again. And I was like, oh man, I've gotten old. Well, I gotta let the dog out of here. Yeah, you 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 replace library uh visits as a kid with documentaries yeah. as an adult. It works uh-huh. fine. But I, I saw somebody say that like the, the true sign of of growing old was uh, the things that you thought were intensely boring when you were young are the things that are so fascinating and fun to you when you're older. And and granted, I mean, obviously, we still play video games. I mean, I right. you know I'm I'm surrounded by you know nerd crap behind me and whatever. And I still yeah, I, sure. all the childish things I still appreciate. But I also get a big kick out of our new air fryer, you know, and stuff. Like that. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, man, this new crock pot's so big. I'm gonna right. be able to fit so much soup in this bad boy. <laughs> Until you overdo it, because we bought one of those like ninja, like giant ass, like it's sort of like a crock pot. You're supposed to be able to make everything in it. Yeah, like and, a crock uh, cauldron. Yeah, and then pretty quickly we're like, oh, this is useless. This makes too much food. Um, I can't figure <laughs> it out. It's this gigantic thing that takes up so much space, and and now it's just in the basement. Just sure, you know. Yep, uh, just collecting dust. The, yep. The worst thing I've done with my crock pot is overestimate my ability to eye measure uh-huh. <laughs> and making a big pot of chili and it being like at the br- like the crock pot has like a lip. Where the uh-huh. lid sits, yep. the lid could not sit on the crock pot anymore. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going to have to stir this real slow. It's a lot of chili. <laughs> it was, yeah, well, we had, I had my, my grandma and a couple other people over. So it made sense at the time. Uh, but okay, since you. then, yeah, yeah. I've been like, be very careful not to be overzealous <laughs> because mm-hmm. you like chili, but you don't like it that much. Uh, you don't want to eat it every day for the next week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be very so, regular. Yeah, <laughs> very. And I make spicy chili, much to my wife and daughter's uh, 
disappointment, I guess detriment. <laughs> <laughs> like my my taste buds do not register spice the same way. Mm. So like probably people's like eights, nines are like five, sixes. Yeah. So my spicy is my spicy is chili. My chili is spicy. And after making that much, no one else wants it that long. Right. Because yeah. they're like, we suffered through it once. We right. do not want it every day. You can there's only so much industrial strength colon blow you can handle in a week, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then after that, you just become a Mr. Potato Head and everything you put in just falls out. The back. Right. <laughs> just uncomfortable and awful. <laughs> and not fun for anybody else around you. No, yeah. You'd think it would just be not fun for you, but you're also impacting your family. Right, yeah, yeah. These, that's the that's the adult stuff right there is the having to think about like not just oh this will give me rumble tummy for like three days but like my family has to deal with it afterwards you yeah know, yeah i'm gonna have to like get my kids to want to be around me while i do this or i'm gonna have to make my partner sit next to me while we watch documentaries and, and i smell like the landfill that they're showing on this documentary about pollution uh-huh yeah and you're like oh no i'm the problem oh no <laughs> <laughs> this documentary is about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, poop and chili and adult pleasures. That's a really weird autobiography title. <laughs> it would sell. Those, that would definitely it would. Sell. It would. Those things aside. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've got you here to talk about storytelling and games. So my thought is, let me do the intro to the podcast real quick. Yeah. I always, I don't know if you do this. I always feel really weird stopping a natural conversation to do like, welcome to, but it feels so weird to me. Oh, I so. do it every time. Every time. All right. I, I always yeah. like, um, I, you know, when every time I get a guest on, we, we tend to babble for five or 10 minutes before things actually get going. Yeah. And then I always do the, all right, I got a scripted read. I do at the beginning and I always tell them, okay, I got this awkward pause, um, that I'll hit, which is, you know, because I'm recording video, I'm like, where the little interstitial logo thing is going to go into the video and then I'll put right. you back in. But yeah, you know, it is always a hard stop between like the, Oh, this is natural. I'm like, Oh, now you have to hear me. Hey, readers <laughs> and writers, I'm Adrian Busky and I sound like a smarmy motherfucker right exactly. now. Exactly. Let me step into my radio voice for one moment and then I'll step <laughs> yeah. back into the fun. I'll put on uh, my so dulcet yeah. tones. <laughs> so I'll do that. And then at the end, don't like hang up when yeah, yeah. We, yeah, I had someone do that once. Oh, I yeah. was like, all right, thanks for listening. And then they left and I was like, shit. Yeah. I wanted to say, all right, cool. But <laughs> let's do that real quick and then we'll jump into it. Uh, yeah. Wait for a pause real quick. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Bounty Board Podcast, your favorite video game podcast. And if not your favorite, soon to be your favorite. Uh, this week, I have a special guest with me. He is the host of Fictitious Podcast, a podcast that focuses focuses, excuse me, on sci-fi storytelling. Yes, yeah. Um, I would say it's the storytelling craft of science fiction and fantasy. There it is. That's see, he's got the better. He's got the you've got the shtick. You put it together. Um, <laughs> that was the voice of my guest. His name is Adrian Busky. How's it going, Adrian? I, it's good, man. I, you know, I it's been since like San Diego Comic Con 2019 since it we've has seen each other. It's been a precisely minute. when it's yes. Um, I remember reaching out and being like, oh God, <laughs> we like said we'd talk and haven't for two years. Um, you know, pandemic happened and China yeah, 2020 doesn't count. Yeah. Right. Forget that year. Every, that thing's a wash. every commitment you made that you failed to fulfill last year, you just, you get a, you get a mulligan. We'll, we'll just forget it. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, we talk about video games on this podcast. Mostly sometimes we talk about food because I'm absolutely undissuadable 
Um, and I love talking about food. But uh, this week I had you on, Adrian, specifically to talk about storytelling in games as kind of the beginning of a series. Not like a season-separated series, but like a series of podcasts discussing storytelling. Um, so, both good and bad, you get to be a part of the very broad introduction to this idea, to this conversation. I'm uh, um, I'm the inaugural. I'm the guinea pig. Um, I'm I'm the experiment. I like I'm I'm good for all those things for sure. Okay, good. As long as you are okay understanding what this, I'm just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> so we, well, I guess let's talk about what, um, well, how we interacted. The f- I'm curious because I don't remember exactly the first time, but I think the first time we interacted in person was accidentally running into each other at Comic-Con in 2018. So I do remember that, because I remember we ran into each other on the show floor, but I think we met for the first time at Pixel Pop. Oh, no, we certainly did. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, probably, um, there was the one year where um, I was the media director for Pixel Pop. Um, uh, we had, uh, my, oh. wife and I had my wife and I had, had worked with the Pixel Pop uh, Festival here in St. Louis um, as like sponsors and, and uh, doing live uh, panels and moderation and stuff like right. that for a couple of years. And then we came on for one year. Basically, the show is getting ready to make a big jump. If people aren't familiar with Pixel Pop, it's a an independent games uh, festival in St. Louis. Um, and uh, and it, it was, you know, it started off very small and it's been growing. And we wanted to come on board and basically help it jump to the next level. And it made a huge yeah. jump that particular year. And I'm pretty sure that I met you through that. I was introduced through some of the organizers from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think I ran into your wife there as well because I was going around uh, interviewing as many people as possible. And that was the first year it was at the SLU campus, correct? Yes. Yeah, because I've been there a couple times before and kind of watched it go from like a grassroots to like a more of a movement, like building more and more momentum, which was really cool. Um, And then, yeah, I remember, I'm sorry, I remember now because I wrote about it. And I think Wendy was one of the first people to like comment and message me about what like about posting and like thanking me for posting. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So yeah, yeah we were actually there. reading your article about that and, and uh, really being happy with your coverage of the event. And, and uh, you really understood the spirit of what pixel pop was trying to do and, and uh, what the organizers were trying to accomplish with it. So um, it was yeah, really easy to pick that up. Like it, I remember going and you know, you go to some events and you're like, what am I going to write about this? If that's what you go to do. Uh, or even if it's to like take back something to tell people at home. I remember getting there and like seeing the big step and being like, what am I, how do I focus this into like a readable, you know, 2000 words or whatever. And then I like an hour in, I was like, there's so much character in this place. So that became the focus. It was really easy to, to figure that out and put that together because everybody put on a really great event. But I do really dig that uh, you remember like that encounter like at, at San Diego in the next couple of, you know, or like a year or so later, um, because that's that funny thing about being people in St. Louis is that, you know, so many people around here, like, you know, they, if even if they're into the nerd scene or whatever, they don't branch out very far um, distance wise right. for the various conventions. So um, my wife and I have been going to San Diego Comic-Con for like nine, 10 years, um, you know, obviously missed 2020, uh, but um, but for like nine years ahead of that. And um, it's always fun to run into St. Louisans there in San <laughs> yeah, Diego. There, yeah, and yeah I remember like, I was sitting at like a booth buying pins or posters and you were like, you do nerdy bits. And I was like, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Some, someone knows me. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. Um, so yeah, we interacted there and then 
I guess over Twitter a couple of times. I don't think we went to any. I mean, the Pixel Pop probably again in twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen after San Diego Comic Con. Um, but then we actually made a point of running into each other and hanging out a little bit at Comic Con twenty nineteen. Uh, and then twenty twenty happened. And we can get past that. Yeah. Um, but you the host a podcast. The twenty nineteen uh, parties were lit though. Uh, <laughs> oh my god yes yes I, we before you know we got going uh recording we were talking about like all the joys of getting old um and the things that you know, sure happier whatever but that's the one time where i was like it's three in the morning we're at a bar i'm surrounded by like uh you know 200 nerds uh everybody's lit um and yeah. i was like oh for a little while i can pretend like i'm still one of the youths you know <laughs> for, for a while i can pretend like i belong here yeah <laughs> yeah the comic-con is such an interesting and unique and amazing experience because it is that it's like most of your life there's gonna be people who are like you're a fucking nerd and then like <laughs> you <laughs> uh because you talk too much about who baron zemo is in front of your family um <laughs> and then you go to comic-con and you start to get into that conversation and then you realize that like everyone there is on board and you're like oh my god this is this is where i belong uh and then yeah you go frequent the little the hyatt uh or the what was the other hotel that was right next to the hyatt uh uh the marriott There's yeah the hyatt, you go to the marriott the, the hilton they all yeah, you go to those flavor. like three bars and just like stand around and drink because you know somebody that's like cool is staying at that hotel and may also come get a drink. Um, and yeah, we ran in there and ran into each other there and had a good ass time until like three in the morning. And then the next day I was like, do I want to go when the floor opens today or do I want to sleep in uh, and recover? <laughs> You know, I used to uh, I used to have a uh, a table on the con floor at San Diego Comic Con for a long time that I shared with a uh, a bunch of folks. And uh, when we were promoting Nerd for a Living, which was the show that my wife and I uh, did for a really long time, and yeah, there was always that tough thing about like trying to roll your ass out of the hotel room early enough to be you know on the floor as the show opened. And I almost never got there in time because it was yeah. always a late night. It was always social time till yep. wee hours of the morning. Um, the last couple of years when I've done San Diego, I've only been there to do programs. So I've only been there to nice. moderate panels and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and that's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I just have to be on time to go, you know, do the live things. And then otherwise I can just free float around and have a good time with it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And I sit in the corner with your hood up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, last year or last year, last time we went, I think we skipped Saturday. We went Thursday. We were there. I get there always Tuesday before yeah. and leave a Tuesday after. It saves a ton of money on tickets. And it's a vacation. It's great. Yeah. So we went Wednesday to preview night and got in really early because I had professional badges. And they were just like, yeah, you belong here. <laughs> and let mm -hmm. us in at like four instead of six. And then they kicked us out like an hour in. They were like, wait, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, we did Thursday and Friday all day and were there really late each night and saturday we were like there were six of us in one b and b and we were like what if today we just fucked around with what was outside the convention center mm -hmm. like really liminally even like maybe go to a restaurant and see some things but like what if we just chilled and it was great because sunday was like it was like we were there the first day again it was nice and refreshing i might do that every year going forward although i think i'm hall aging next time oh my which is you know basically what? saturday off yeah, I I've never um you know I've never been the like the Hall H person. I mean, I've gone to a number of panels at it, but I've never like waited in line for anything there. I'm just not that kind of fan. I don't queue well. 
Um, I hate waiting in line. So sure. um, so it's never really been sure. my my thing. Also, weirdly, I operate on the principle that if there's like somebody that I really want to meet, if I just walk around long enough in San Diego, I just will. And most of the time I do. So um, yep. I kind of, uh, you yep. know, I've just kind of skipped that whole part of the experience. Uh, I get why people get, you know, out of their minds for, you know, when there's like a Marvel thing or, you know, or in any of those like really big events. But um, yeah, it just isn't the thing that I have done yeah. before. But if they're not there, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you you do rub shoulders with people inevitably. Like well, I ran into Aaron Paul, I think last or in 2018 like he was with his wife walking their baby down the beach when we were going surfing like what's <laughs> up dude uh i ran into grant inahara oh, um man. rest in peace ran into grant inahara ran into yeah that's just random yeah. yeah yay um yeah you just rub shoulders with people fucking lamar burton lavar sorry lavar burton was just chilling at one of the hotel bars and like we didn't even realize he was there <laughs> Like came over and said, "Hey," and we were like, "Oh, hi, <laughs> man." That's, that's uh, the cool people, people who don't live on the convention scene. You know, I always see it like you know the people who are you know spending one hundred and fifty dollars to get a handshake and take a photo with somebody, and they it's their like treasure forever. It's like when you get on the con scene, if you're a content creator, a journalist, or, uh, you know, some type of of creative professional um, in this zone. Um, sooner or later, you just kind of get access. Uh, to a lot of those things. And it becomes kind of weird because you can be, I mean, you know, you mentioned LeVar Burton and well, I haven't met him in person. I've run into him a few times, but like I, I was in Chicago at a convention at one time and then realized that like half the cast of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was in the booth next to us at dinner. Um, you know, and you're just like looking, I'm like, that's Q. Awesome. What the, you know, and like, and just in just various, you know, people, Brent Spiner's over yeah, here and stuff. Yeah. And like, it's so weird. I mean, I mean, at uh, Emerald City one year, it was realizing the table next to us had Stan Lee at it, you know, and we're like, oh my God, you know, it's just, that's just how this stuff works, yeah. right? But the people who are not on the scene don't. Yeah, you just realize like, oh, they, they're people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the, it's the funniest the, thing, uh, like. My favorite uh, Comic-Con memory is from. Oh, sorry, go ahead. My favorite Comic-Con memory I can remember was in 2012, it was the first one I went to. And my uncle had made an acquaintance with Tim Bradstreet, who was the artist of Raw, was an artist, artist for Raw Comics, and had done a lot of um, Punisher covers. Yeah. And we were, like, walking through and saw the Raw Comics booth and saw him, like, on the side on the phone. So Ben walked over to talk to him, and, like, while we're standing there, we realized that behind the Raw Comics booth, Thomas Jane is sitting there. Yeah. Who played Punisher. Uh, and they're friends because of that. And like, we were like, dope, that's Thomas Jane. So we're waiting to talk to Tim Bradstreet, who's on the phone. And he like puts his phone down and is like, I'm going to go on break in like 10 minutes. Or like right as soon as I'm done with this. And we're like, oh, we'll come back in 15 minutes. And he's like, no, 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 come with us. And we were like, what? And so he <laughs> hung up the phone and then ran over to Tom and was like, we're going to go smoke. You want to come out? And we were like, oh my God. So we just stood outside with Tim Bradstreet and Tom Jane. While Thomas Jane smoked a cigar that was about as thick as a quarter all the way through. <laughs> the important question. Dope. We just sat there and talked about Punisher. And it was just a normal person. Yeah, it was great. Did uh, um, did, did Tom Jane stand outside just barefoot? Because when I ran into him 
after Comic-Con, it was like Sunday night, and he was just out front in a pair of shorts, no shoes, just out in front like of like the sea doors um, at the convention center, just chatting with people, hanging out, didn't give a crap, no <laughs> pretense at all. Amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. No, he was uh, he was wearing like skinny jeans and flip flops that he wore out to outside and then kicked off immediately, and then was wearing like a button up that the top three buttons weren't done on, and had like a like a fedora, like a <laughs> like a wicker like, like a like a like a wicker basket style fedora <laughs> with just shaggy hair hanging out of it. Like he looked like he was so relaxed, and I was sitting there like, oh my god, oh my god, it was great. I, I will throw out that um, I actually do kind of like that the Tom Jane Punisher, um, the movie. Yeah, the movie's kind of bad, but he's really good in the role. Really, he's really good as Frank Castle. Yeah. yeah, he's really good. And the sequel, oh, well, the, not the sequel, but the one that came after Warzone, um, is not good. At I've all. never seen. I've never seen that one. I've heard really mixed that's things it. and just didn't ever glom onto it's, it. It's it's extremely violent, and that's you can tell that's the decision they made. Not mm. like a story decision. Or like a character decision their decision was like what if we just made this super gory and i mean that works for some people it did not for me but yeah you know yeah i don't really need <clears throat> um the ultra violence thing i don't mind no. i mean lots of things that i watch are super violent a lot of the games that i play are very violent you know um but it, I, it, I i do like it to be justified to a certain extent um sure uh, there's, uh, I mean, dovetailing into the game thing. Um, I'm currently playing God of War for the first time. The, sure. you know, the new one, the 2018 one. I mean, I played the, yeah. the old ones back in the day. Um, and, <laughs> Speaking of violent. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, and that was the thing. So like I loved, um, way back in the day, the first game I played on Xbox and I liked it. I liked the story. I liked the gameplay. I thought it was cool. Um, and then I, I stepped away from gaming for like a really long time, like sold all of my stuff, just, just completely put it on my life for a little while hmm. because I, I needed to focus on other things. And I had, I literally woke up one night or not woke up, um, Became aware one night that it was like four o'clock in the morning. I was sitting um, in this little side room where my gaming stuff was at. Um, the dog was staring at me. My wife was in bed and I was playing like Lego Star Wars. And I just remember being like, why am I doing this? I'm like, it, this is just busy work and I'm not really enjoying it. And I right. wasn't, and I was like, I'm not getting any writing done. I'm not getting other things that I want to get done. Um, and, uh, and I woke up, I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and told my wife, you know what? I think I'm gonna get rid of all my gaming stuff. And she was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then that afternoon, <laughs> and after the afternoon, it was gone. I got rid of yeah. all of it. And she was like, you actually did it. And I was like, it's time. I need to focus. Um, and so I didn't have it. I missed the entire like um, PS3 and um, uh, what was that? Was it the, was it the X-Bone? Is that the same? No, um, PS3 and 360. PS4 360. And X-Bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, missed, uh, I missed that whole generation. Um, sure. And I came back to gaming because of Uncharted. Um, because I kept seeing stuff really about the Uncharted reason. games. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, and I was like, oh, that's what I want. I want adventure story with these lush atmospheres and stuff. This is what I've been waiting for. Um, yeah. and so I came back into it, but around that time I played God of War three and just hated it. I was like, cause it was just so like aggro bro violent. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I was God like, of War got very out of pocket. It seemed as time oh, yeah. went on. Yeah. And I was just, I, and I, I didn't appreciate the story anymore. I didn't appreciate the gameplay. I just, it was lost on me. So when they put yeah. out the new one, I was like, 
um, you know, in this, you know, get this big sandbox adventure story game, and that's that's my pocket. I mean, like the yeah. stuff. Like, I mean, contextually, my favorite game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, so things that are yeah. in that zone. Um, what was that? I haven't finished that game. I st- I'm gonna sidetrack you for a sp- split second. Yeah, yeah. I started that game right after my daughter was born in 2017 and got <laughs> really into it. But my mistake was getting really into it when my mom was in town to hang out with the new baby. Uh-huh. And so like in between us doing things as a group, I would be doing that. And one day my mom was like, are you going to play this the whole time or hang out with me? So I stopped <laughs> dead and then didn't restart that game for like a full two years. <laughs> and then when I tried to get back into it, I was like, I don't know what the fuck any of this is. Yeah. I don't know. So I have the, like the, the complete edition. Mm-hmm. I just need to, you know, find time to knock it off my backlog before forbidden West comes out. You know, I well, I, I, I anyway, derail hard. Sorry, Horizon oh, Zero done. Well, I mean, I was gonna say I derail hard the way you were talking about. Like, I'm I either play obsessively or completely forget a game exists. Um, and Horizon Zero Dawn was one of those ones that I sure. knew. I, I kind of knew nothing about it whenever uh, it, it it. I mean, I, and I came to it a little bit late. I think I came out. I came to it right around the time that um, the uh, Frozen Wilds um, add-on was released. So I kind of just hopped in and got the whole thing. And that's absolutely yeah. the kind of gaming I love. The deep story, I mean, so much character focus. Um, you know, the gameplay is great, but the world building, I mean, this is something on the fictitious podcast that like I talk about all the time, which is world building, which is just the the details of a world, the getting in and, and figuring out the cultural stuff, the history of it, um, the foreshadowing, the character design, all that stuff. Sure. And for me, like, Horizon Zero Dawn is just like a high watermark as far as like science fiction storytelling goes. Um, and like, uh, I mean, obviously people won't be able to see this, but I have like the the art of, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn on the shelf behind me. And uh, that that one is full of peeks into the um, the not only just the art, but also the writing where they kind of get into and, and explain some of the the thought processes awesome. and stuff of choices that they made and uh, things that are subtextual in the story, but not, you know, out loud. And the, those things are fascinating. There's just such great storytelling stuff that's, that's in there. But yeah, that one is my fave. Um, so when they put out the new God of War, um, again, I came late to it um, because I was kind of like, uh, I don't know that I need aggro bro, Kratos. I already kind of look like Kratos, so I <laughs> kind of need to make that jump. Um, and uh, um, and I, so I sat on it for a couple of years and then and I just just started playing it. Um, it's great. It's so good. Um, but man, I am playing it on story mode because I don't care about mega challenge, right? I just want to have a good time. And even on story mode, that thing is hard. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you talk about the yeah, ultra violence... Yeah. It's uh, uh yeah, it's it's interesting when you like jump into a game and you're like, "Oh, I really fuck with this story, but I really don't care about the combat." Like that wasn't 100% me with God of War. I think I played it on like normal. I might have put it on hard cuz I'm a sadist. No, <laughs> sorry. Masochist? Yeah, masochist. Um, <clears throat> but like I remember getting to parts that were difficult and being like, fuck it, going to the menu, dropping the difficulty, <laughs> getting through that, and then like putting it back up so that I could do like, so, so I could engage with some of the like lesser important conflicts, but the big fights that felt like superhero fights, I was like, I just want this to go the way you want the story to be told. I don't want to die three times because I'm bad at timing or uh-huh. whatever. Um, and God of War completely ambushed me. I That game came out 
in 2018 and I did not play it because my grandfather died that May and that's like when I was going to play it. And I was like, this story is about spreading a deceased parent's ashes. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I completely skipped it until the beginning of 2020 and played it in like January, February, uh, and just devoured it. I just like ate it like a, like a bowl of ramen with my bowl tipped up. I just, <laughs> des- I just devoured it. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it- it's got all the things that I really like in a game. I love exploration. Uh, I love a lot of really great dialogue. And um, I like, I love the new generation of gaming with like all the pickup dialogue, the stuff that you see in Uncharted 4 and God of War and, and, uh, and Horizon Zero Dawn and stuff like that, where like you can be walking around exploring and talking to somebody and then, you know, the conversation can leave off and then you come back to it and they're like, what, where were we talking about? And then they just pick it back up again. Like, I love that. Um, makes me so yeah, happy. Yeah, it's very um, good. But I love I love all that exploration. I love building um, the more of the context about the world, whether it's the lore you're picking up along the way. But what I really like that God of War does is that it doesn't make you read like every damn thing that you encounter. Like it just drops it into the journal, and you get, like if you want to look at it, you can. But that's, I feel like 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 The Last of Us, which is I'm, and I haven't played the second one, but I love the first one. But I felt like The Last of Us was a little too in your face sometimes with some of those like world building things, where I'm like, that's cool. I I like I want to read this. Sure. I do want to enjoy this, but um, but there's a clicker nearby. I need to kind of focus right now. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I I like yeah. the way that it 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 will tuck away the bigger non-essential world building. Um, but then, you know, the fact that so many of the conversations happen while you're walking around in between, you know, fight scenes and stuff like that, that the fact that in the gener- this generation of gaming that a lot of the storytelling can happen outside of cutscenes um, is a big deal to me. Because I feel like cutscenes can be great, but they can also, for me, drag the, the, the experience down sometimes. Like, I don't want to sit through like sure. an hour of cutscene. I want to be interactive. I want, I want the story, but I, you know, I'm playing a video game, not watching a movie. So let me be a part of it. Um, and so that kind yeah. of storytelling is great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we've, we've, we've done it. We've figured out how to perfectly uh, segue our way into <laughs> talking about storytelling in games. Um, and you bring up an interesting uh, first thought is the difference between cutscene and like in like diegetic storytelling, right? Where rather than, completely pulling the controller out of your hand and telling you a story through a scene, letting you live or like interact with the story while you're doing other things. Um, I, I wonder, does that, uh, does that preference change at all? If the, if you're, what was I, I had the, I had the question and it just fell out the back of my head. What <laughs> is your preference for that when it comes to like your character, right? Cause like the, Famously, or maybe not famously, to me it is, because it's the first thing I think of. The Skyrim, the the Elder Scrolls games, your character never says anything. You you can tap on something for them to speak, but like they don't actually speak. And also, none of the cutscenes happen where you see your character interacting with people. It's mm. all seen through your eyes, which doesn't work for me, as well as like God of War where there are cutscenes, but also your characters are talking to each other the whole time. Um, do you have a preference between those two things? Like, do you mind having a voiceless or voiced? What's your, what's your preference between a voiced or a voiceless protagonist? So generally speaking, I prefer a voice. 
Um, okay. Partially because I love voice actors um, and I love that whole aspect of whether it's in games or animation. Um, I just think it brings so much to the experience. Well, yeah, you I, got it back in the games because of Uncharted. Of course, of course you love voice actors because right. those games are full of incredible talent. Right, exactly. And that was it was a big part of, of that draw. Now I'll say that um there are voiceless games that kill it. Like um like say like Gone Home. Um sure. where, you know, where you've got that first person perspective, you like it really is like the, the game is like a an avatar for you in there, you know, and then you're right. just experiencing the story. Um and and, and it, I just think that that game really works on all levels. Or like say Journey, you know, something where this, yeah. you know, this deep atmospheric experience where there is no textual dialogue story stuff it's everything is just an experience um and it's still it's amazing you know it really works yeah but by and large um i want dialogue i really get frustrated occasionally when there are games where they have dialogue trees but you don't actually have a voice um i'm trying to think there was something i played recently and i gave up on really fast and and that was part of the thing was that you know it would bring up the here's the three questions and you'd hit it in text but then i wouldn't hear it and then somebody yeah. would respond to me, but the character didn't have a voice. And I just, oh, I, you know, it was um, uh, Remnant. Um, oh, ashes. yeah, From the Ashes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely a reason I ricocheted a little bit. Yeah. Because that game is really good mechanically, but the story is delivered so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I got really frustrated with it quickly because I was like, yeah, like you said, mechanically it's very strong. Um, it's got good combat. It's tough, but it's um, for a player like me who's who's not focused on timing sure. and mechanics and whatever. <laughs> I like to button mash and just to have a good time. Uh, I, sure, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, that was definitely a thing that 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 I that made me wash out of that one. Um, I I do like whenever possible to have. You know, the dialogue trees where I can make choices. Again, that's one of the things I like about Horizon Zero Dawn is that those conversations I have have effects. You know, they change the yeah. course of certain things. And, you know, getting to the end of Horizon Zero Dawn and realizing that, like, and again, no spoilers because since you haven't finished it, but um, that, that those choices will make a difference at the end. Um, the way you've talked to people will make a difference at the end. Nice. And uh, that's very cool. At the same time, man, I like a, a game on a rail is good. Um, you know, the Uncharted games are on a rail. Um, you don't deviate from it and it's no. good. And you know, it's weird. My favorite of the Uncharted games, I mean, everybody's favorite, I think is two. Um, and that's probably the high water market, even though the rest of them are great Two is just so, so well done Four four is very close. It's very close. Two's incredible, but four is very close. Uh, for me actually though, I kind of think that my favorite is lost legacy. Uh, that's the one I haven't played. Damn oh, it. Yeah, well, I've heard this is good. You're not the first to be like, this is this the, because it's like short, right? It's yeah, like yeah. 10, 15 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's you bite don't, size. Yeah. I think of like Lost Legacy is like a three minute pop song. Like, that like a really good three minute pop song where you listen to it and it's done too soon. And you're like, oh man, I want more of that. And you just hit play again. And you yeah, do it sure. a couple of times. Sure. I played through Lost Legacy, beat the game, immediately started over and played it again. Um, cause awesome. I, cause it was just like, it was such a ride. It was so fun. It's so well constructed and yeah. yeah. And it wasn't a big investment. It was like 15 hours, which, you know, for a game is, is relatively small, maybe 20. I think when I played it through the second time, I mean, I speed ran through it with a cheat on or something and it did it yeah. in seven or something, but yeah, you didn't look for anything. You didn't explore. You just wanted the story beats again. Yeah. I just, I would just, I just wanted to kick ass 
and and experience the story and, and enjoy those characters again. They're just like yeah. really, really fun characters to spend time with. So I, I, mean, I definitely recommend when you get a chance, grab yeah. that one because, man, it's so yeah. Fun. I've got Miles Morales, too, which I've heard is similar. Like, Spider-Man was great, but it was too long. Like, 30 hours into that game, I was like, all of this shit, I don't care about any of this. Can I just fast travel from story beat to story beat? Because that's all I care about. And then Miles Morales came out, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a Lost Legacy instance where they, like, were planning it to be DLC, and then we're like, this is big enough. Let's just charge 60 bucks for it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which I don't think Lost Legacy or Miles Morales charged that much there's like 30 or 40 like 40 i think yeah 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 which is smart um but i like those like contained little stories um but i I, next question do you prefer small or do you do you find yourself leaning towards the longer stories or is it like a mixture of both generally speaking um you know when i think it's weird because like the the Uncharted games, I've always felt like until four because four is so much longer than the other ones. Yeah. Um, I I always liked that length because I just I don't generally like I'm a gamer with a small G, right? Like I don't have a lot of time to invest in, <laughs> sure. in, in yeah. gaming, and when I get obsessive about something, I basically have to give up sleep in order to fit it into my schedule. Um, yeah, and and so I do tend to like things that are a little shorter, a little bit more concise, uh, and. It, now, like playing God of War now, I am exploring and doing all the side quests and fetch quests and stuff like that. And so it's like I'm at that point where I'm like, oh, my God, I am 50 or 60 hours into this game. Like this is probably more than my general threshold of how much I will give something. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it really depends on the it, it, it really depends on how well the story is executed. You know, when I think about something like Titanfall 2, where the story mode is so <sighs> short on that. You yeah. know, it's like it's tiny, but it's fun. Like yeah. you get, you get a cool robot character. Um, you get some fun action. It, you know, it, it introduces the story for you and then you can jump into multiplayer. I'm not a big multiplayer. Titanfall two is like the only, only multiplayer game I've actually spent any real time in, uh, nice. in the modern That's era. A good one. It was it's super good one. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a problem. Like first person is tough for me. I get motion sickness, um, from sure. first person. Uh, totally understandable. Yeah. And so there are some games that I really like, but I still have a hard time playing like, um, like dishonored. Uh, great story, great yeah. world building. World but, building I mean, for sure. My head would be swimming um, <laughs> from that, from just because yeah. of the the first person. So I'm I whenever possible, I always prefer a, a third person over the shoulder. Like it's just so much easier on me as a viewer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, I'm generally speaking, a more concise story is my thing. But then again, you know, Zero Dawn is a huge epic story with so much going on. And the second time I played through on the game plus, I mean, I spent. Less time because it was easier, you know, because I was tougher to begin with. Right. But more time going through all the nooks and crannies and catching the story beats and stuff that I hadn't before. Sure. So, and sure. I think that might be the first time I had done that with a game like that large that I replayed and yeah. dug through that much. But yeah, generally speaking, and this is kind of how I feel about books too, since that's, you know, what I talk about my show is that people who know my program know that like I say a lot of times like that there's no sexier word to me than novella because I, <laughs> I like a good 150 200 page story I don't want a 900 page epic fantasy anymore episodic yeah. is good give me nine of those 150 page stories hell yeah here for it but I sure. don't want those big Wheel of Time, George R. R. Martin style, you know, like Game of Thrones yeah. books or whatever. I'm just not here for it anymore. I don't have that. Get handed of- like a Neil Stevenson versus an Isaac Asimov, or get handed a 
fucking Frank Herbert versus, oh, no, man. you know what I mean? Like just a 500 page <laughs> omnibus full of like a whole dictionary of words you have to learn just to get it. Yeah. Um, or yeah, just throw me some short, sweet. I really, really, really want to get into the expanse. Oh, but I looked so at how, I, but I looked at Leviathan wakes and was like, this is a big book. <laughs> like I want to get into it and I'm, I know I'll like it, but I need to like set aside time in my brain <laughs> to to do that yeah it's um, funny like my my first experience with leviathan wakes uh was i i mean i got it on kindle um i did not physically see it in person i had just learned about it at comic-con i actually have a print somewhere that was like a limited litho that they gave out at a sure. event for it and i like I, so i didn't know that it was a gigantic book i just immediately bought it on kindle and t two things one was that it, that was good because i didn't realize it was going to be this huge hefty story yeah. but they pulled a fast one and stuck a whole second book onto that kindle story um because the uh, the expanse is written by two authors daniel abraham and, and right. Ty frank um daniel abraham has a whole bunch of fantasy novels of his own under his own name and they just slid one of those novels into the ebook and so i remember being on a plane getting close to the end of leviathan wakes and being like my kindle tells me i'm at 50 percent i have read like 800 pages worth of content <laughs> What is what happening? What the fuck is going to come? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I finally hit the end of it. And then it was like, oh, and here's a bonus. Here's the first novel in the, the Dagger and the Coin series from Daniel Abraham. And I was like, I mean, I'm on a plane. I got nothing else to do. So I just went and started the next story. Went in Rome. Yeah, yeah. sure. That's awesome. And hell yeah, man, that book is great. But I, had, <laughs> you know, I, but both those books are hefty. And I probably would not have picked them up um, on their own just because I do shy away from enormous novels like that i have a very hard time getting into books on my phone or on a kindle i don't for some reason i don't like reading that long on a screen so like i had an opportunity to buy like the bundle of the six or seven books that are out for the broader like expanse yeah and like i didn't want to because i wanted to buy them all physical because i want them on a bookshelf somewhere oh yeah um but like my wife reads through a book a week on her Kindle and like, it's great. You should do it. And like, I got Jason Schreier's new book, uh, that comes out in May and they sent me a digital one first. And I was like, can I please get a physical galley copy? Cause I really like, I'll read this one. Thank you very much. But uh -huh. like, can I get it physical please? And I did. And it's great. I love like actually turning pages, but Eventually, I'll have to make the, the transition. I just, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay, don't judge me. I mean, I am 100% a, a paper reader. I would much rather have the physical in hand. Yeah. The Most of the time uh, the, when I've used the e-readers, because I used to travel just all the time. And so it's always on planes and trains. Yeah. And so that was, it was just so much easier um, to do sure. it that way. Um, and now because I do a book show, you know, I get the arcs, the advanced reader copies and stuff like that. And they tend to send me net galleys a lot of times. And I'm always like, can I get a physical? Cause you know, that's yeah. again, I want it on the shelf. I want something I can take photos of for the social media. Um, I want something I can hold up in the video and be like, Hey, this is your book and it's cool. Um, and there's the ebook is just not my preferred flavor, but, um, you know, I, it, it's funny. I think the people who read voraciously, um, that really read at speed seem to mm -hmm. really like the Kindles and stuff a lot because, you know, they can just tear right through something and then just jump to the next story in it and pick right up and go. Um, I'm not that kind of reader. I'm, I like to spend, it's the same with kind of games and stuff. Like I like to spend a little time to savor 
like you know what's going on i want to pay yeah, attention 100%. to the story um and uh and so and there's something about the page that allows me to you know go back and reread a passage a couple of times and um i don't know i just like yeah. to smell the books and stuff too you know? that too yeah 100 i found my old lord of the rings books i got in elementary school and cracked them open and smelled like the middle of one of them and it smelled exactly the same as when mm -hmm. i read it like in fifth grade and i was like oh shit, this is a time machine yep uh i love it it's the best uh it's interesting you bring that up as like taking you're taking your time reading and taking your time in stories i think you may have just helped me realize something i play a lot of games with friends but the ones that are like like destiny or uh right now we're playing outriders which is good question mark don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> i like it and it's fun but it's i don't know how long i'll like it unless they start introducing some things and they may who knows but um i'm frequently the guy that everyone's waiting on to go to the next area because i'm like <laughs> i'm like look i'm like walking through the town and looking at the puddles like i'm not lying like i'm walking around and like damn somebody or some several hundred people spent a lot of time building this place and like they're just running through it like hey, this is cool whatever and i'm like but look at this bar with like the people and they're all talking and they're all talking about things if you you can tell that they're like arguing or whatever um world building in games is huge because you get to actually like walk around and live in them and i realized that i'm the person that likes to just sit there and like oogle at it like oh mm -hmm. fuck this is great and all my friends are like hurry up and i'm like shut up <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> so when it comes to world building i know that like uncharted it's i have a hard time maybe not a hard time I just don't gravitate towards discussing world building in like realistic settings that just take place in our world. Uncharted, yeah. the Uncharted games are tremendously well done. Um, I think their world building is very much like it's Indiana Jones, but this guy. Oh, and yeah. that, I don't mean that to sell them short. Like that's a really good story idea. Uh, and it sold millions, obviously. But uh, what do you have like a top three that you can think of off the top of your head for world building in games? Oh man. Well, uh hold on a second, my dog is losing her mind over here. Oh, uh, you're fine, you're fine. Oh my gosh, yes, you can <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, it's fine. She's sixteen and and uh doesn't listen anymore, so she just does what she wants. I don't uh, think any of us would listen to anybody when we were that old. Yeah, just, yeah. And she's gonna ask to go right back out here in a second. Anyway. Uh anyway. just off the top of my head, uh I mean, well obviously, like I said, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um one of the first games that I really grabbed me as far as its world building um back in the playstation one era was uh legacy of kane soul reaver oh god <laughs> yes, yes i mean just yes. uh that was i remember you know I, I, we would play that game me and my roommate and just having friends over and we would just ogle the world and the, the story i mean in, you know the ending of that game is bunk but the, the <laughs> all the lead up to the ending is just so fascinating it's so cool and it was the first time i'd played a game that was quite like that i mean you know i played like resident evil and stuff and those are immersive but the voice acting is terrible and it's a very stilted kind of story sure. experience but the soul reaver was incredibly immersive and uh yeah and just the, the world that it built uh was really exciting to me there's also a game from the playstation one era that i thought was really interesting it's called fear effect um it's hmm. i feel like it's a forgotten footnote there's like two of those games and there's there's like a third game that got put out some years ago. I think it was maybe supposed to have been mobile first or something, but it's available on PlayStation now. I haven't played it. Um, it's it, back in the PlayStation One era. The the play control was a little clunky on it, but it had a really cool 
design scheme uh, and just really uh, built this really interesting future world um, that had a lot of like supernatural uh, sure. elements layered on top of it. And um, I mean, I haven't revisited it in years, but I just remember that was very striking to me in that yeah. era. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as, as world building goes, I mean, those, and, and obviously now like playing God of War, you know, where you're exploring the Nordic uh, gods after having spent, you know, three games in the Greek God yeah. era um, is very, very cool and very fascinating. But yeah, there's, I mean, and there's tons that do it really, really well. Um, you know, there are games that have not much in the way of story, but also still are dripping with atmosphere. Um, I mean, I think of a game like, um, like Sundered came out not too long ago. Um, it's, yes. Yeah. I think I know Sundered. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of Metroidvania, um, you right. know, and it's, it's play style. Uh, I mean, it totally fails on giving a satisfying endings I mean, because it's got multiple endings and they just really didn't try very hard on giving those. Sure. Um, but the, what you learn about the world and the, the design of the, the characters and the fact that it's like all hand-drawn animation integrated into it. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a cult, total clusterfuck of, of fighting. Cause it's just one of those games where it's like you get, you know, swarmed, um, yeah. and then just jump around and hit things, mash buttons until everything's dead. I don't have a lot of patience for that kind of thing, but, <laughs> sure. um, but it was still, deeply atmospheric and um even though the story was thin it still really built built an interesting world um and so yeah, sure of a, a recent game that one definitely grabbed me sure i always think of the dishonored games you brought them up earlier yeah um those games kind of to me it feels like cheating almost when it comes to world building because they're like they're i think they're a world builder or at least their art director <clears throat> um came from the half-life games and so oh, okay. like you can see little like things that carry over like the way that they have their rail system or the stilt walkers those like guards on giant stilts that like shoot electrified bow and arrow uh -huh. like you're like oh this is like a design for a hell gas trooper that you didn't get to use in half-life that you just like <laughs> stuck here but i remember the first time playing that game um you the like god the first one was what 2013 2012 it's been a minute, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember walking through Dunwall the first time and being like, this is, this whole city feels real. Like yeah. there's whale, there's whale fishers <clears throat> or whale hunters because they're not technically fishing for whales because whales aren't fish. I don't know. Words. Um, but there's like the, the whale hunters are down by the, down by the dock. And like, as you move up from the dock, there's like blood in the streets that have been washed out from all the butcher shops or all the like whale oil companies that use because they use whale oil for fuel like just interacting with the space for like 30 seconds and i was like oh everything here belongs yes uh and that's its own whole bit of storytelling because i've played games and i'm sure you have where you maybe like the mechanical aspect of it but when you look for any continuity or just sometimes even just congruence in like what's happening as the player versus what the world looks like it would be doing. It just doesn't exist. Um, I can't think of any of those right now though, which is weird. I can normally think of a game where like I played it and enjoyed it mechanically, but the world was so dumb 
For me, uh, <laughs> it's weird because it, because it walks this line between great and kind of terrible. For me, those are the Assassin's Creed games because <laughs> that was the that was I almost said that. <laughs> I was about to say like Assassin's Creed Unity did that for me, but yeah, yeah. Go on. I mean, I've only played two of them. I played, I played Unity, and then I played, uh, uh, was it Brotherhood? Is that the or mm-hmm. the one afterwards? That's... No. So it's, I'm a huge nerd. Forgive me. It's Assassin's Creed, and then two, and then Brotherhood, and then Revelations. The Brotherhood, two Brotherhood and Revelations are all one guy. Syndicate. It's, Syndicate's it, the one that I played. Sure, Syndicate's the one in England. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah. The, I played Syndicate first. So again, it, you know, I had jumped into the PlayStation 4 era late, and so I kind of missed the entirety of Assassin's Creed and then played Syndicate. And, uh, you know, what I was struck with that game was that the the playing it in an, in its world, it was very immersive and it was, uh, like, so really well detailed. Not quite to the level of, like, walking around and, you know, and the NPCs feel like NPCs, right? Like, yeah. they just feel like cannon fodder and they don't feel like real people, not in the way yeah. that, like, a Dishonored um, does. But, uh, but, but I still really enjoyed it, but I also, I had never played any of those games. So the stuff that was about the future things and the whole point of the backstory of why you're there <laughs> just completely nothing yeah i mean and the game doesn't yeah. doesn't it doesn't try to explain it to you at all it just assumes that you know everything about the world mm-hmm. and so i immediately was like well i don't care about any of that so i'm just <laughs> going to ignore that entirely and then just in, and just stay in this world um as it is and forget that there's a sci-fi <laughs> element behind it at all um, yeah 100 percent yeah, and Unity was kind of the same, and, and, and I came to Unity well after it was patched, so it wasn't a ruinous yep. wreck anymore. Yeah, I missed all of the big bads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were still some flaws, but it was, at, at the end of the day, it was a pretty fun game. Uh, but yeah, it, it was one of those games where playing that, especially after playing Syndicate, um, and Syndicate's uh, DLC, which was pretty darn cool as well, um, and going back into Unity and being like, okay, yeah, this story barely hangs together. It's okay. But it, it's not – I don't have that feeling like I'm in the world. I do feel sure. like I'm surrounded by NPCs and I'm just kind of, you know, fulfilling, uh, you know, the, the the game, like, fetch quests and stuff like that. Um, but, it, again, they're beautifully designed. They're very, very cool. They're so faithful to the real world stuff that, that they're devoted to. But they don't quite land in the same way that some yeah. of these other really good stories do. Yeah, sure. I uh, The only Assassin's Creed I would ever – suggest you play there are many i play them all i'm i'm a acolyte at this point those are those are like one of my comfort foods and i'll put <laughs> up with a bunch of bullshit i played 110 hours of valhalla and loved it um but i don't expect anybody else to do that uh <laughs> but uh assassin's creed origins uh is incredible and does what i think you were looking for in unity and syndicate way better uh it takes place in egypt and immediately, like, the first thing I noticed in that game is that, like, I've never realized that no other Assassin's Creed game has kids running yeah. around mm-hmm. until I played Origins. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I guess Syndicate had kids because you were, like, freeing them from workhouses. But, like, Origins, your character, like, will show up in Memphis or will show up in, in uh, Giza and, like, interact with someone that he knows. And then their kids come out and, like... They want to play hide and seek with Uncle Bayek. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this guy is not just a person who's supposed to be, like, this stoic hero, you know? Like, he's a dad, uh, and he's 
interacting with other people's kids, and it's great. Uh, it does a tremendous job of telling that story because it makes their char- that character very human. Um, so I want to talk about God of War because you experienced the old ones and we're like, Ugh, don't need this, but you're, you're liking this one. Um, and I loved it when I got into it, but I also think that I, I'm, I was the perfect customer for it. Right. Cause like when I was playing the original God of Wars, I was younger and angry and went like, fuck yeah, kill the gods. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but then we get to this one and it's like a much more withdrawn, uh, really tragic tale about like a absent father and his kid trying to like connect what was it about this god of war that had you like oh shit yep well i mean the thing you're talking about there i mean that sort of disconnect between father and son i mean my father and i had a relationship that had some problems and didn't kind of get repaired until towards the end of his life and so i could recognize uh those things i also just thought that getting a thoughtful emotional narrative that actually approaches a character who is, I mean, somebody listening to this is going to hate me for saying this, but like a toxically masculine character, right? Kratos is emotionally walled off. Um, You know, he treat, you know, the fact that he just refers to his kid as boy um, all the time. And he's extremely violent. Yeah. He's super duper violent. He's, he's, he's emotionally withdrawn. He's um, he's all these, classic ideas of what being a man is, um, but in all the ways that don't work. And the fact that the story, as you're going through it, both explores how the father and son finally connect and how they have to go through a lot of, you know, you you go, Atreus is, is great. And then he's kind of a little asshole for a while. And then he kind of levels out just like a teenager would, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And Kratos has to, deal with his own pain, his own trauma. The fact that like he is a God and he is a God who has done incredible things, but he has done that both, you know, by enduring so much pain um, and walking away from it with no sense of pride, you know, like he knows he's like the most capable, most dangerous guy in any room, but he has no pride in that. Everything that he has done in the past is violent and destructive and he just wants to walk away from it and keep it close. And yeah. something that um, I'm always interested in, um, and I've talked about this on Fictitious before too, is family secrets. The things that parents don't say to their kids, the stuff yeah. that you don't let anybody in on. I am the youngest of 15 children. And uh, I yeah. feel like I knew that, but I've forgotten. It's crazy, right? It's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of my siblings are quite a bit older than me, and they had whole lives before I was born, right? Um, yeah. And so they have stories and experiences and some really, really wild stuff that I didn't even know about until I got into adulthood. Things that nobody filled me in on until much later. Some things that are like, frankly, shocking. Uh, and, you know, I'm because I was not their peer growing up, you know, I was so much younger. So I'm the age of their kids. So, uh, so, so those things fascinate me that the idea yeah. of, of the things that we don't tell our loved ones, the things that we uh, don't tell our children, um, all those things are interesting to me. So God of War's exploration of that and the fact that, yes, Atreus is growing up, but 
Kratos is developing as a human. He's learning to be emotionally open. He's learning to let go of some of the things he's had in the past and and to approach them. And uh, yeah, to me, that is fascinating storytelling. And then, you know, you rip the wings off Valkyries and fits of rage and stuff like that. And that's pretty cathartic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got his moments where you're able to like, I'm mad and I want to wreck this. And then you yeah. do. And then like the next scene, you're like, also... <laughs> 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 You've had a pretty rough history, my dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are moments of that game that to this day I will show people um, in my argument that, like, games should be, not all, obviously. No one cares about Call of Duty or whatever. <laughs> um, but there, I, I, there are scenes from this game that I frequently share with people as part of my argument that games should be taken more seriously, if not in some cases as seriously as, like, well-written and directed film. Um, and kind of trans or not translating, but segueing into that question, uh, cause I don't want to keep you for too long and I kind of want to get towards a kind of summation. Um, yeah. I think that there's, I think the games are, what am I trying to say? Games are obviously on the rise and have been for a while. Last mm. year was a huge year for games in terms of like just overall, like, uh, adoption right like people locked down were like what do i do and then for seven months it was impossible to buy a game system because everybody wanted one yeah um but i think that we're still a little bit away from people recognizing games as like a good medium for telling stories and a lot of that's due to like steven spielberg mm -hmm. saying that like you can't make games with as much of an emotional story as a movie which is bullshit but He's Absolutely. old. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's similar similar to like Martin Scorsese saying that like Marvel movies are all they're not movies. Like yeah. one, don't he's obviously gonna have a bad opinion about that. Two, like because he is who he is, he may not know exactly what he's talking about in this case. But um I think that games I remember playing the first Last of Us, and like you, I have not played the second one yet. Again, 2020 did not feel like the year to play a game about a pandemic that was no. that dark and violent. I was like, I will play this in a better year. Yeah, I couldn't um, do it. <laughs> I remember getting to the end of that, though, and Uncharted, another Naughty Dog game, uh, and God of War, and thinking, like, I feel like the people who wrote this should be lifted on a pedestal higher than games seem to be possible of doing right now. Uh, so I guess my question is, because that was really long and long-winded lead up what like what's in the way of that and do you think that whatever that obstacle is do you think it's surmountable well one i think it's absolutely surmountable and i think it's going to change in the next 10 or 15 years and the reason why i say that is because um we've seen the cultural shifts you know video games were just commercial successes but they were still kind of considered toys you know running from sure. the 80s into the 90s and um you know the uh, rubber or um uh what was it like uh um uh, ebert the you know the film critic had famously said video yeah. games are not art video games will never be art well he was clearly wrong <laughs> uh but I, I think it's it, when you think about generationally the way uh people's uh, attachment to media changes when i was a kid in the 90s, anime was something that was incredibly niche, and uh, very few people knew about it in the States. And if you did, you were like trading VHS tapes and tracking down movies, and they were super expensive, and it was hard right. to come by. Right. And now, 
anime is like is integral to the lives of so many people from a storytelling standpoint and 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 part of that um in the internet age where like suddenly americans are listening to bts and they're watching korean dramas and stuff like that um you know there's a greater openness about those things i think the next generation becomes more open to things that an earlier one had walled off in a lot of ways sure i think video games have impacted uh, so many writers. I mean, on my show, I do author interviews, and so many of them have talked about the video games that they love and that have had a big impact on their own um, uh, storytelling and the things that they enjoy. And I think that bleeds, you know, one into the other. You know, those sort of like yeah. two separate places that have seemed so divided are now like far more interconnected. So, I, I, I mean, I there is a lot of artificial walls that are up around like what is good art and what is just commercial product and um yes. and 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 those things are all artificial, right? Like and they're all things that are constructed by snobbery and a sense that um that gatekeepers get to tell you what is good and what isn't. At the end, what matters is the impact that it has on the audience. When I think of Horizon Zero Dawn, I think of it as being one of the best science fiction stories that I have experienced across any medium in the yeah. last five years. Uh, when I think about The Last of It, I think about the emotional impact of scenes like the giraffe sequence and the sequence right towards the end where – I mean, I, I, it's maybe we're far along that spoilers don't matter for yeah, The Last of Us, right? It. <laughs> but it's the, you know, it's the moment that Joel discovers that Ellie will die in order for the the cure to be created. And yeah, that, when that clicks. Yes. And he's like, wait. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I often re refer to that following sequence as the man on fire sequence because I remember playing that game. It was like three yeah. or four in the morning. I got to that sequence and there was no way I could stop because in that moment, yeah. I was Joel. I had to protect Ellie and God damn it, I was going to kill every single person who got in between us. And I felt that in a visceral, yeah. powerful way, that emotional reaction that there's only one thing in the entire world that matters, and I will not stop until I rescue it. Right. And um, and getting into the final sequences of that game, I was like, th that's as emotionally compelling and impactful as any you know award-winning film or novel that I've encountered in, and I don't know how long. And yeah. it, and it partially it gets there because. You are not a passive observer. You are a participant, and it becomes mm -hmm. your story. And that's one of those differing things with games where when it's done well, yes, you're playing Kratos, but you are Kratos. You're playing Aloy, but you are Aloy. Sure. That is something that those that the game the games do that the fiction doesn't in the same way. Yeah. Uh, and that movies do and it don't do in the same way and it's and it's uniquely powerful and i yeah i think that the barriers for those things will fall as this generation of of people who have grown up with games and uh you know and that have grown up with incredible games will not see those divisions in the same way yeah sure i think one of my favorite um moments it's also one of my favorite games of all time um there's two i'll do the this the runner up first bioshock infinite has and this is a game you may have missed because it was in that fourth third generation of consoles i don't fourth generation, the ps3 360 era um there's a moment in that game where like you realize it's tough to i don't want to spoil it because you may get to it someday but there's a moment in that game where you realize that like you are one of 
many versions of yourself. That sounds vague, but when you, when you get to that moment, I remember thinking like, what if I just turned off the Xbox and didn't participate in the story that followed because I knew where they were going. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I know that that's what the, I know it's the story you want to tell, but like, if I just turn it off, maybe I, I break the cycle. Right. Um, so that scene was really good, but my favorite game of all time, which is going to sound weird is, um, Splinter Cell Conviction, which is, um, another 360 era, uh, Splinter Cell game. They changed the formula completely. And like, rather than being, you know, a wetsuit or tactical suit based, like government agent, you're outside of the government, but the, but like someone has kidnapped your daughter. So it's like a, it's like a man on fire game, the whole game, A to Z, you like get a hint that your daughter might be alive and you find out that like when you were a double agent and had to kill your best friend to stay undercover, that was all, that was all fake. (laughs) Like the reason you did it. And so that you're just like, cool, fuck everybody. I'm going to get my daughter back and leave. There's a moment at the end of that game um, where you get the option to you're in the oval office and like the whole white house is shot to hell and you get the option to like the man that did this to you kidnapped your daughter lied about your best friend like all of this stuff you've got him and the game's uh contextualized storytelling throughout by giving you these like interrogation (laughs) scenes where you get to like beat the hell out of people to get information out of them but you can you you control it so you can just like talk to the guy and punch him or you could walk him over to the bathroom sink and punch him through the sink and then slam his head into the mirror and then ask him a question like in it, you can interact with these all in different ways. And so it, it, it builds that up in you the whole game. And then in this last moment, it says kill or spare next to this guy that like just the whole game, you get more and more angry. And I remember that option got, got given to me and I sat there for long enough that the game realized you don't know. And so Mm -hmm. Sam turned and walked away. The main character turned and walked away because like, that's what I was doing. Yeah. I was sitting there like, should I fucking, I hate this guy. Fuck this guy. But also like, I don't want to kill him, but maybe I do. And I thought for long enough that Sam turns away and I got an achievement (laughs) and I was like, oh (laughs) shit. Um, and that was such a cool storytelling moment for me to like be at a, on this precipice where I was like, fuck. Like, who am I? Like, it was no longer what would Sam do. It was like, would I f- shoot this guy? Maybe. Uh, and then to spoil it, you turn around and walk away when you choose not to kill him. And your partner who's been helping you just shoots him in the face. <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> You're like, cool. Someone else did it. I didn't want to. That's fine. You oh. get your hands dirty with it. Um, but yeah, I love that like games allow that like visceral internalization of like story elements. Uh, and I think as time goes, like you said, we'll see more, more and more people get into that. And that kind of changed the conversation about like where these things stand next to more traditional forms of media. Well, like when I mentioned Gone Home earlier, that's a game that I think about where it's, you know, it's exploration and, and you're building the story based on bits and pieces of things that you're finding around the house. Right. Um, but there's a point at the like... 95% mark of that game where you've picked up enough clues to, to find out that there's potentially something very shocking waiting for you. And I just remember the tension 
ratcheting up and a panic, like a literal physical panic. I felt at the, oh no, I have to, I have to get to the attic. I have to get there. I have to find out what's going on. I, I, if, if, if she's still alive, I have to stop her like that thing, you know? And, yeah. uh, and again, I mean, you can get that in a film, but, but it was me. It wasn't me feeling that for somebody else. It was me in that moment. And that's, it's just, that's incredibly powerful. Uh, and, or, or like say like a game like uh, Detroit Become Human, um, sure. which has has some narrative problems for sure and some allegory issues that are maybe a little bit beating beating over the head with it. But there are some beautiful character moments in that. There are some difficult questions and the you know those moments where you have to think like ethically and morally and uh, strategically about the choices that you're making, which is a very different kind of experience than just, I will punch thing until I get the reward <laughs> and keep going. Yeah. But instead having to say, oh, like, if I do this, do I alienate the kid? Do I miss the ability to, to create an ally? Do I get the thing that I need to stop this thing from happening later? Or does that happen because of my own failure here? That those are interesting questions, and um, and being forced to explore them uh, as a player, I think, is is really powerful because we really do have to kind of question our own motives and how we approach things. And you know, are we yeah. a wrecking ball or are we a thoughtful human being trying to make good choices? Yeah. And the best part is play it again later and then be the wrecking ball or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. It gives you that option. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Last of Us is that like. I mean, it's very much their response specifically to like people watching Uncharted and being like, supposed to like this guy. He's supposed to be a puckish rogue. But by the end of the game, he's killed 300 people. Like, he's yeah. a monster. Uh -huh. uh, so Naughty Dog was like, okay, fine. Here's a game where every time you kill someone in front of this 15 year old kid, she says something about it. And every time you killed someone, and she was like, Jesus. I was like, ah, oh, I'm such a bad person. <laughs> I felt so felt so gross the whole time. That is a great moment in I think it's Uncharted Three when you're up against maybe I don't know if it's the big bad or it's really close to the big bad at the end of that story, but he does make the point of saying, Drake, how many of my men have you killed? Yeah. Like hundreds? How you are know? you better and, than me? <laughs> right, exactly. And that really rang with me playing it because you can it's really easy to be like, ah, these are the bad guys. They're, you know, they're, that doesn't matter. You know, I'm doing yeah, what I have right. to do, but right. to be faced with that at some moment in the narrative to be like, are you making the right choice? I mean, I, you know, I, I, that's, that goes right over into like undertale, you know, or like you playing sure. a game where you can make the choice to just have conversations and not kill people yeah. uh, and monsters and stuff. But, uh, um, and, and, you know, and un, uh, dishonored is a game too, that you can make the choice to never actually kill in and mm -hmm. go towards that, like white knight ending where you've, um, you know, you've successfully, I have one of my best friends, did that he made the run to go through entirely without ever like crossing that line and i was like that is yeah. amazing i don't have that kind of patience in a game uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did that uh, in the deus ex games like just I, I don't know what it was a particular moment in my life where i was like getting ready to kill a guy and i was like this dude has no idea i'm here he's just fighting for what he believes in it's just not what i believe in maybe i don't want to kill him so I like put my guns away and used tasers the whole game and it was fine. Uh, was it more difficult than other things? Yes, definitely. Um, but just with talking about Uncharted, I when Uncharted 4 came out, 
because of these moments of people being like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are big moments in Uncharted 4 where you could just avoid conflict. Yeah. And I did it a lot. I was like, I'm just going to sneak around these guys because I don't have to, I don't have to fight them. That sounds fun. Um, and also that game uh, was really good about talking about who Nathan Drake thought he was as opposed to like who he actually was. And I was there. I was 100% here for that the whole time. It was great. There's something that they set up really nicely with that at the beginning of Uncharted 4, which is the sequence where he's in his like attic and he's got the little like targets and he's like shooting a little like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, st- you know, sticky gun at them. Yeah. And he's kind of like reliving the pew pew exciting days of the past. And I remember playing that and being like, he misses that excitement, but he's missing murdering people by the dozens right yeah this dude's uh, broken as fuck <laughs> you're right exactly there is there's is some heavy baggage here i also i want to say without giving a big spoiler for uncharted 4 the epilogue on that game yeah i, I had played the last of us before i played uncharted 4 and the epilogue of Uncharted 4 feels like it's going to go right into a, like a prequel to like The Last of Us. Sure. At least to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I this, can see that. this thing that feels like it's maybe intended to be quiet and meditative and, and this, you know, reflection back on the series. Instead, I was so tense during it <laughs> oh, no. because I was like, because it felt like echoes at the beginning of Last of Us. And yeah, 100%. And I was like, what are you doing to me, Naughty Dog? Are you about to rip my heart out at the end of this narrative? And thankfully they didn't. But man, I was on edge playing oh, just that the, epilogue. Just the, the fact that you accidentally juxtaposed those two things next to each other. Yeah. So that your brain did that is, that was, that's so sad. <laughs> because yeah, the end of that game for me was like, this is perfect. And you were like, oh God, oh God, oh God, the whole time. I just kept thinking, are like, are they gonna have clickers bust in here on their daughter, and like, and, yeah. and this, and this leads right into the la- like it, because I mean that would have been an interesting like, oh crap, you know that the the worlds crash together. Yeah, sure. And I almost wondered, I'm like, did you pitch this? Did somebody pitch this in the room? You know, when the writers yeah. as they were breaking the story, did they stop and go, you know, this could just be the same world. We could be setting up, um, and yep. it, uh, and also you could have just easily made it Drake's fault. If you think about how the mushroom thing broke out in the world or whatever, and all the stuff yeah. Drake's dredging up yeah. from below and supernatural shit that he's encountered, it would be yep. no stretch to be like, Nathan Drake did this bullshit and everybody else had to deal with it. Um, and it would have yep. made perfect narrative sense. But totally, perfect. of course, those series don't match up. But yeah, it would have worked. Right. But it would have been incredible if they were like, yeah, this. remember when you found the fountain of youth and fucked it up? This is what it did to the world. Good yep. job, dipshit. Like that would have been really great. <laughs> that would have been really great. And oh, to be man. fair, I kind of would like to have seen a Nathan Drake in the Uncharted because I mean, Joel is brutal old man strength. Um, but you know yeah. he can't really jump. You know he's not fast, um, but he's he's careful, right? He's careful right. and powerful and right. unrelentingly brutal. Drake is fast and quippy and jumpy and climby and all those things would make a completely different experience to fight in that world um as that kind of character versus the old guy yeah the the quippy puckish guy having to deal with like the end of the fucking world (laughs) yeah and especially if it was his fault yeah oh buddy adrian i think we may have just come up with a a story we need to make for a game (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, if you could have The Last of Us three, Uncharted five, um, you know, Drake has to yeah. fix, you know, Drake fixes his bullshit. You know, like I have, to, he has to finally solve. He's the only guy who can do it. And then maybe him and Naomi and Chloe, you know, like have to go off and and you know save the world again. Um, that yeah. sounds sounds perfect. Yeah, I want it. I need it. <laughs> well, before I let you go, um, tell people how they can find you and your podcast, please. So fictitious, which again is the storytelling craft of science fiction and fantasy, because that's my tagline. Very good. Um, and uh, so that show exists both as a podcast and on YouTube. So um, if you're a YouTube person, you can go to youtube.com slash fictitious, get to it. Um, if you go to fictitiouspodcast.com, all the links, it's on you know Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, every everywhere that podcasts are at, it's there. Um, you can follow the show as at fictitious pod on Twitter or on Instagram, or you can follow me on Twitter where I try to be less these days because it's a toxic health health site. But um, <laughs> but you can just find me under my own name, which is Adrian Buskey, which is A D R O N B U S K E. Dope, awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, before. I let you go. What is, if you could make it, one game that you would make about food that you would like? A game about food that I would like. If you could, if you could have complete creative control to make your game about food, what kind of game would that be? Hmm. So I'm a huge fan of. Um, there's a YouTuber named Adam Ragusia. Uh, who does kind of like he does videos about cooking, but also about like sort of the history and the science of cooking. But it's not super heady; like it's delivered in a really fun sure. way. And if if so, if I was going into something in that direction, um, I would want something that wasn't just about food, but it was about culturally why food is what it is. Something that explored like, where do these things come from? Why did they develop this way? Why did the people of this region, but I'd want it sure. as a story. So I would want to be a like, if it was, you know, cooking was somehow part of the, the thing, I would want the world building attached to it to tell me why did these people use rice or why do they not really use a lot of sugar or what is these sure. inputs like, that's what I would want. Um, I don't know how to tell you what the game mechanic is, but I would be really into it if it if it developed out that kind of thing because that's the stuff that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's dope. That's or dope. if it was just about tacos, because man, I like tacos. Or if it was just about <laughs> perfect. There's a there's a really interesting game that uh, I did this I did this show with uh, Rami Ismail, uh, a big time indie uh, dev and like ambassador, a couple like a month ago, and he suggested a game called Yemba, I think on uh steam that's coming up it's all about going through it's not exactly this idea but it's about going through like a family's cookbook that's gotten like watermarks in it and trying to figure out what the recipes were and as you figure out the recipes you learn where it came from in your family and i was like yeah i'm buying this as soon as it comes out thank you <laughs> uh food games are like my my sleeper hit and as i get <laughs> older the more and more i want to like have more food games that really accurately represent what food is. That game sounds to me like if you took Unravel and turned it into a game about food. Sure. Rather than, a, you know, a game about family trauma. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's probably some kind of family. Food and family trauma go right next to each other, baby. That's they what Thanksgiving's do. for. 
That's what Thanksgiving's for. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, for anybody listening, thank you for listening. Um, We put these episodes up on Fridays. I will probably not be able to wait until that long for this one because we're recording it on a Monday. So look for it on Wednesday. Um, You can find everything that the podcast or Nerdy Bits does at nerdybits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at nerdy underscore bits. And you can follow me at lubwub, L-U-B-W-U-B, everywhere it's important. Um, and look, just look to the stream in the next couple of days because baseball comes out on Game Pass. And your boy can't wait because I've been playing <laughs> baseball on PlayStation for years. And now I get to play it with my Xbox friends. Um, but in true nerdy bits and bounty board fashion, our sign off is... Play more games. If you never did, you should. These things are fun, and fun is good. Dope. Aight. Thanks, man. Yeah. That was fun. Dope. Yeah. I love talking about story and games. So many people are like, just to play another game of Rocket League. And I'm like, I like Rocket League, but I also want to go experience something. (laughs) I am. I am definitely not that gamer. I like the only game that I have played extensively, like with online play um, was like Titanfall 2. That was the first time in a long time um, that I actually because mostly I'm a solo gamer. Like I don't really like when I went social gaming, I played D&D. Um, you know, sure, and, right, right. uh, and yeah, so with like digital gaming, I don't really do that with, and I, I am so story centric. I also like, I spend an enormous amount of time playing like hidden object point and click games. Sure. Like, um, there's a publisher, uh, I thought I had like Croatia or something called Artifix Mundi that makes a lot of games that are, they yeah. make for, yeah, they like they show up on PlayStation, which is where I play them. But you can also get them on mobile and computer and stuff. And their stories are shit. It's the same story over and over again with like the different dressing on top of them. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a very, it's a very similar experience. But they go on sale a lot, where I can get them for like two or three bucks, and they I can get like eight hours of pretty meditative sure. puzzle solving because I like that kind of puzzle solving and hidden object kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and they scratch that need for kind of a story but more like for me to do the work you know but i'm not killing stuff and that's that's the thing that i need that that break from because almost every other game is about shooting or chopping up something and i need i need a a break from that okay and then sometimes i want that you know i want to i want to i want to i want to rip the it's nice to have them in balance though not just like as your primary diet yeah 2020 was that for me if anything 2020 was realizing how much i could fuck with games that don't focus on killing i yeah. got into like some indie driving games and some city builders and stardew valley i've got into i got deep into stardew valley <laughs> um all games that i would have never been like yeah i want to do that but like 2020 hit and i was like i can't play another fucking match of call of duty or uh-huh. i'm gonna pull my own eyes out of my head with my fingers <laughs> Uh, so yeah, nonviolent games mixing those in finding little games that like occupy that perfect it's great well, I mean, that was, stay for, sane. yeah, I mean, that was for me discovering things like journey, um, and, uh, and just that whole kind of that subsection of indie games that are story based, but not, you know, typically don't have a lot of voiceover or whatever. And, and they're very atmospheric and, and, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that stuff that's meditative and kind of beautiful, but also sometimes tense or whatever like that, that can be a real, um, yeah. you know, uh, a real nice palate cleanser. 
um, or God forbid, Fall Guys or something like that. Which, sure, something just silly goose dumb that you're yeah. like, yeah. Fall Guys, op, op, you know, like filled my time for like a solid day and a half before I was like, fuck this, I don't need this. <laughs> but for a day and a half, I was terribly amused. You know, yeah. it was laughing until I, maniacally. Yeah, right. It was at the point where I was like, oh, I'm at that 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 threshold point that happens in a game where like I either have to now get good at it because I've started to like. I fumbled my way through long enough and now I kind of want things from it. And that means I'm going <laughs> to sure. actually have to figure out how to play it or sure. I can walk away. And I walked away. Sure. Um, but I got what I needed out of it. Uh, yeah. and, and it was, it was fun. It was, it yeah. amused me. I was laughing all the time when I was playing it, even though it was, it was just like, annihilating me and I'm giggling the whole time. And, and that, <laughs> that, that was pretty good. Uh, yeah. The only yeah. games that I can, uh, there's, there's, there's only one genre of games that walks the border between like just entertaining and not violent. And like violent, but not is like strategy games. Like I will, I will get lost in like an XCOM mm -hmm. for like a month. Like I, my friends will be like, "Do you play games with friends anymore?" I'm like, "No, I don't," <laughs> because like I turn into this tactical mastermind. In my opinion, of course, these <laughs> games are meant to make you feel that way. But I feel like I turn into this tactical, like if I move him here and here and cover this and cover that, boom, boom, boom. And then you hit play on something and it just goes and you're like, ah, yes, that's the, that's the, the comfortable medium I have between nonviolent and violent games is just like really tactical planned violence. <laughs> that's fine. I haven't played any of that stuff since like, oh my God, like Warcraft two or three or like way sure. back in the, you know, the early computer gaming days, like, or like command and conquer and stuff like that, which I really, I, I love the hell of those games back then. I'm not a great strategic mind when it comes to stuff like that. So, um, I mean, that's and part of the problem with, with a lot of video games and stuff too, is that I don't have, I'm a creative mind, not, uh, an analytical math mind. 